So angels, Satan, and demons. So uh, previous Christian beliefs discussed so far in this class have focused on the physical creation. So this section is focused on spiritual creatures. So first, angels. What are angels? Someone wants to read that, read that for us? Okay, created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. So one, um, angels have not always existed. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the sea and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. So angels have not always existed. Also, they are spirits. Hebrews 1.14. And they, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And then Luke 24.39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Because they are spirits, therefore, they cannot normally be seen unless, one, the Lord opens up their eyes, or two, they take on bodily form. So Matthew 20, 28, 5 says, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And then well, uh, Numbers, numbers, uh, numbers 22, 31 then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. So their spirits um, cannot normally be seen unless they take on a physical form, physical bodies, or the Lord opens up one's eyes to see them. Um, another thought here, normally they're invisible during their activities. Someone want to read? Psalm 91, 11, 4, and then someone else can go to Hebrews 12, 22. Psalm 91, 11. Uh, 91, 11, yep. He will command his angels uh, concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Okay, thank you. And then Hebrews 12, 22, they join us in worshiping God. And you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, into innumerable angels in festival gathering. Okay, thank you. Also, angels have the ability to demonstrate moral judgment. <clears throat> well, here, let, me, let me make a note on what I just said here, actually, I want to, so as far as this, this, we just read, where was it, let me read, uh, the Lord opens up the eyes and they, oh, they take on physical bodies, um, where is that, Hebrews 12, 22, so we, we read in Hebrews, this, the context around this in, in Hebrews 12 is, uh, so, new heaven, new earth, uh, gathered around the throne, a gathering to worship uh, the most high God. I should note here that the angels should never receive worship. So they, they join us in worshiping, but they should never receive worship. We should never make these created beings the recipients of adoration. So angels join us in the worship of God. And in Revelation 22, 8, 9, they strongly admonish the apostle John to worship God alone. I'm going to read that because I think it's important here. Revelation 22, 8 and 9, which says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So the angels, so if anyone says, I encountered an angel, I saw an angel, and I worship, and that angel received that worship, they didn't see an angel. Maybe they saw a fallen angel, or a demon, but it wasn't 
an angel, because we see all throughout scripture angels saying, worship God, worship God, right? They're not accepting worship for themselves. I just wanted to note that. <clears throat> Back here, angels demonstrate moral judgment. God did not spare angels when they sinned and cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness uh, to be kept until the judgment. So there are fallen angels, which we'll talk about in a sec here. Angels also demonstrate their intelligence through speaking to humans. We see that in Matthew 20, 28, 5, and praising God. Matthew 28, 5, but the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And then Revelation 4, 11, and the four living creatures say, worthy are you, O Lord, and God to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Um, again, it's interesting to see here angels acknowledging the God who created them, right? So again, we're, we want to have a biblical view of angels. Uh, they're not omniscient. They shouldn't be uh, deified, but we, we view them as created by God, and the angels in Revelation 4.11 do the same thing here about angels having great power. Someone go to Psalm 103, 20, and then someone else, 2 Peter 2, 11. So angels have great power. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I, I, we're going to talk more about this later. They did not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against or against them before the Lord. That's important. But again, they, they're mighty. They're great in might and power. And then Psalm 103, 20. Obeying the voice of his word. So no one, these the angels being mighty, throughout the scripture, you don't see anyone encountering an angel and walking away unshaken by their power. The common response is, and he bowed down and fell on his face. Because uh, there is a, a, a might and a power that God has created angels with. Again, not to be worshipped, but God has created them in such a way where there is this, this awfulness about them. Angels also obediently carry out God's plan. Again, bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Obeying the voice of his word. All right? Angels serve as examples for us as they worship and glorify God continually. Isaiah 6, 2-3, above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Notice that even though these angels around the throne are sinless creatures, even they must cover their face and feet in the presence of the most holy one. So they, they, they recognize, they have the proper posture before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think that's something that we should consider. Sinless creatures covering their face and feet before a holy God. And then Hebrews 13.2 says that we should be aware of them. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So you just never know. That's, I know that's... that's uh, sort of outside of our usual realm of thinking, but Hebrew says that you could be, who knows? Um, God in his wisdom could allow that to be, that you are. And it just, this is, he's just encouraging them to just be hospitable because you don't know. Um, Revelation 19.10, we are not to pray to or worship angels again. 
And the Lord said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay? So before we jump to, to demons, any, any thoughts on that? Any questions? No? Okay. So quiet. <laughs> All right. Demons. Someone want to read the definition of demons for us? We're, we're recording, so make sure you speak nice and loudly. Demons are evil angels who sin against God and who now continually work evil in the world. Okay. Thank you, Robert. So demons are angels whom God did not spare. What do you think that's saying before we read the scripture? Angels whom God did not spare. They will be judged. They will be judged. Right, right. Exactly. So turn to turn to Second Peter two four. Let's let's read this. Isaac, you want to read that for us? For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Yep. So they are angels um, whom God did not spare. There is, they are fallen angels, as we see, they are kept in chains until the judgment of that day. So it's, it, it shouldn't be a curious thing, but at times it is that angels or fallen angels will be judged. So Satan will be judged, right? So he's not, he's not this, this Lord of, of hell saying, go here, torture that person, do this, you, do that. No, he himself will be tossed into the lake of fire, right? So we have to keep that in mind. He's not, he's not sovereign, and we'll talk about that more later as well. Um, angel or demons did not start out as evil, Genesis 1.31, we are all pretty familiar with this. And the Lord saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So the Lord made, he's in creation, he creates all things, and he says it's good, he said it's very good. Right? So they, they didn't start out as evil. But they did not stay within their own position of authority. Right? They will not be spared. They didn't start off as evil. They started off as very good, yet they did not stay in their own position of authority. Jude 6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that day. They did not stay in their proper place of authority. So Jude's, the book of Jude and Second Peter 2, they almost sort of run neck and neck in the things that they address and the way that they're, they're written. And both speak of these false prophets um, and they talk about these fallen angels who rebelled against the Lord, um, wanting to establish a throne for themselves, uh, cast out, did not stay within their proper place of authority, that their proper dwelling. Um, and there are different interpretations around that. Is that them falling from heaven to earth? Is that them not staying in the uh, the domain in which God has created them to worship him. Um, but however it's viewed, we know that there will be a judgment uh, of those angels, of those fallen angels, demons, who did not stand in their own position of authority. All right, before we jump to Satan, any thoughts on demons? It's weird to ask any thoughts on demons. Esther? Right, so even that itself, there's, there are different schools of thought around that. Um, some would say that the gloomy darkness is the, is the fact that they are here um, and they have left the, kicked out of the heavenly dwelling and are on earth roaming, and that's the gloomy darkness. Others say that the gloomy darkness is actually when they are cast into a hell and, and the lake of fire and the, the binding that's there. So different schools of thought there. 
Like, you know, that they will be one day forever blessed. Right. I think that that's what I was going to say. It's so interesting that God chooses to love us and provide for right. for us through Christ. Right. But for angels, there's no redemption. There's no savior. It's just they, they chose to get out of that authority that you said earlier. Right. From under God. The one third of the angels that did that, and they will be forever cursed. Right. There's just no, no turning back. And yet God loves us, and we are considered just under the angels. Like, you would think, like, you would save what's more important right. like angels you know what I'm saying yeah no that's, like, that's true you always like you fix your nicer car before you fix your your old you know <laughs> kind of well God chooses to love us and send Jesus to die for us and it's, it's not the angels they are eternally destined to hell kind of that's true um, I was you made me think about a, a passage uh, well we, we know that these are non-elect angels um, and also you, like the Bible talks about man's salvation and the, the mystery that is there and this, this mystery being something into which angels, they, they long to, to look and they, to, to understand and they gaze at. And it, it's a mystery how, how God could, he, he chooses to set his affection on fallen men who are corrupt with Adam's nature and by his sovereignty, he chooses not to not to make a way of salvation for angels, but he does, does for men. So, I mean, that is something that we should give God thanks for and, and praise for. It's, it's a weighty, weighty thought. Um, any other thoughts on angels and demons? So, angels have the ability to not sin. Right? That's what separates them from... They do have the ability to, to not sin. And we'll, we'll talk about that more when we look at Satan specifically what that looks like, the, the free will of angels and the sovereignty of God. Yeah. So will? Kind of my main question about demons is how exactly do they influence us? How do demons influence us is the question. Well, um, I think one of the main ways, and we'll talk about this too, but I'll just answer now. One of the main ways that Satan and demons can influence us is by our, by pressing upon the believer, um, talk about believers first, guilt because of their sin. Uh, we know that Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking some to devour. Uh, we know that uh, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So you're guilty. You sinned against the Lord. Uh, we, we know that we're sinners, but he's pressing in, I think, guilt on the believer that keeps them from approaching God as they ought to. And it can stifle their, their growth. It can stifle their effectiveness. It can stifle their usefulness. Um, I think that's one of the ways. Um, Ephesians 2 says he's, um, that the sons of disobedience, or the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Um, another way that I think uh, Satan influence and demons influence the world is through um, uh, many media platforms, um, I think it can be through music, um, TV, shows, movies. Um, I think one of the ways, and this is just sort of me talking, I should probably stick to my notes, but this is me talking. Um, Hollywood has trivialized Satan to where you think of him as this, this dark hand in the night coming over the ceiling to grab you. Um, no, like Satan is after your faith. Like, he wants to steer you away from the true and living God. Um, and we have the shield of faith to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. That says something. Um, it's the shield of faith which extinguishes the fiery darts of Satan, the evil one. So um, I think that's one of the ways, just trivializing Satan and saying, well, he's just this little guy with a pitchfork and a pointy tail and he's skipping around doing his thing. Um, that's, that's, that's not the case at all. I think uh, the Bible talks about Satan and causes us to have a view of him that, well, we don't underestimate him, but we also don't overestimate him. But I ain't going about that forever. Music, movies, a lot of different stuff. Accusing the brethren. I think more what I was wondering about is how kind of spiritual world has access to these movies in both ways. How we're able to hear them and hear their to, to, to physically hear the influence of... Like, like we, so we can't see them. Right. Somehow we're able to hear them. Um, or they, they're able to... Yeah. 
Well, Mary, when speaking to the angel, I mean, he, that, that angel had a, took on bodily form and she was able to speak to him. As far as um, just your everyday interaction and like the whispering, um, I, I would say that that, that whispering uh, comes in the form of different things, not, not like literally there's this demon on your shoulder, he's whispering, hey, do this or do that. But I think the influence of that comes in the form um, in, in many forms and in many ways. I mean, and then we also have to realize that demon possession is, is real. Not for the believer, but demon possession is real. So, I mean, who, who knows what, what interaction you could come across or what, what person you could speak to who could be heavily influenced by demonic activity. And they, they don't have a contorted face, but they are aligning themselves up against the kingdom of God. So um, I think those are things you just have to, I'm, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but yeah. those are, I don't know. <laughs> is, is that helpful? Is that sort of what you were getting at, or did you have something else in mind? No, no, yeah. And I think it's good to look at authority, too. Like, a lot of everything in the universe is spiritual or physical gives us authority. Like, God is the first authority. And we see, like, Satan, who, when he's looking, you know, looking to who he wants to devour. And Job, he has to come to God and say, you know, God, God's giving permission before he can come after Job. Right. And so we say God is in control of even allowing that to speak to us or for us to see that, just as this scripture that I read earlier. Right. And then also we see, like in Romans 1, where God, part of his wrath is to give us over to our desires, to let us go further into sin. And it's kind of what the context is, is trying to say there. Um, so God can allow, you know, essentially the authority of God can allow demons to speak to us or for us to see it as part of our, to, just to kind of go through further into our depravity. And then the ways that they're going to, the demons are going to use is they're going to use any type of sin that we would do, you know, that we would be so inclined to do, which is right. our selfishness, our flesh, our pride, our just any, any sin. Like, that's how the way they would want to, you know what I'm saying? They would want to just take advantage of things. That's our tendency. Right. That human being of a sinner. Right. And then you have, I mean, you can just look, look throughout the Gospels. Um, often you have Jesus speaking to Pharisees and saying, well, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do his will. Um, and these were uh, hypocritical men who were attributing the acts of Jesus to the acts of Satan. Um, they were opposing the kingdom. Um, they were leading many astray. And these were Pharisees. They were seen in their culture as the highest of high as far as piety and, and holiness. And Jesus says, no, you're of your father, Satan. He's a liar. He's a murderer. Um, so even in that way, again, aligning oneself against the kingdom of God um, can be demonic. Um, and that's, again, um, we, we usually think of demons in a very different um, area, but we're trying to get a biblical lens of demons and Satan and angels um, standing against the kingdom in opposition to the kingdom. Um, the Bible says is demonic or can be heavily demonic. So something to, to keep in mind. All right, any other thoughts before we jump to Satan here? We are out of time. <clears throat> All right. So Satan is the personal name of the head of demons. <clears throat> he's mentioned by name in scripture, and he's mentioned by name in 1 Chronicles 21.1. It says, then Satan stood against Israel and incited, incited David to member Israel. Um, Jesus spoke directly to him in the wilderness, Matthew 4, 11. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. A good note on that, considering how Jesus uh, stood against Satan with the word of God. Um, he stood against Satan using scriptures from Deuteronomy. We'll talk in a bit about um, standing firm and demonic activity and how we stand firm against those things, but just keeping in mind, um, using the word of God. We can't fight Satan physically or, or battle him, but we have been given the word to do that very thing. All right, other names for Satan. Uh, the devil we see in Matthew 4, uh, the serpent, 
Beelzebul, the ruler of this world, uh, the prince of the power of the air, and the evil one. Uh, let's take a look at Ephesians 2.2 quick. I want to make a couple comments on that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. All right, I'm going to start at verse 1 and then just read down and make some comments here and there. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So I'm thinking on this in verse 2 here. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, doing what? Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So, this influence, following, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that does not work. These, we, we, many of us weren't going to uh, seances or gatherings where we worship the devil. We were living in the passions of our flesh following the prince of the power of the air. So one of the ways that, or this Ephesians 2 tells us plainly a way in which we should understand following the evil one is living in the flesh um, and standing as an opponent of God in that way, um, which all of us were before the Lord granted us repentance and opened up our eyes. So again, trying to have a, a biblical view of what, what the Bible says about the influences of Satan in demonic activity. Satan was a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of the, his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus talking to Pharisees here. A very pointed, uh, explicit uh, condemnation uh, of them and to them. Satan is also the originator of sin. So let me have someone read 2 Corinthians 11.3. We're going to park here for a bit and sort of talk about this. 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, <clears throat> your thoughts will be led astray in sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Okay. So, what do you guys, what are your thoughts about this? Satan is the originator of sin. <clears throat> Any, any thoughts come come to mind? He was a murderer from the beginning. Right. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I think that the beginning here is a, a reference to. I mean, you have Cain, or you have Cain killing Abel, um, and that being in the beginning and influence there of the evil one. Um, you have in, in the heavens, um, which is I don't think is that the heaven of heavens, but in, in the heavens where Satan is stirred by his own pride to rebel against the Lord. So whether it's talking about specifically Cain killing Abel or the deception of Eve, or in the heavens where the Lord, where, where Satan rebelled against the Lord. I'm, I'm not sure, um, but I, I'm not, but we, we know it's not talking about his, his origin or his 
being created as evil because the Lord created everything and said it was good. So to answer your question, I'm not really sure, but I think of those three areas, Cain killing Abel, Adam and Eve's deception. Right, right, um, created as, I don't think, yeah, no, it, it's there, um, it, it is, he, he was created in a specific way, um, and I don't think it's a, a, a authority, um, a economic authority, but he was, he did have a, 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 a for lack of better terms, a special way about him in which the Lord created him in his, his position, but uh, I've, I've heard a lot of stuff on that. He was the one who was able to sing and woo everyone he for himself and all that stuff. Yeah, so but sometimes it's hard to, did I hear that or is that a scripture? <laughs> but, I think kind of like, like God created us, he created us perfect, but he created us with the ability to sin. Right. So, Satan being the originator of sin. I'm going to comment on this here. You guys can stop me if you have any thoughts or questions as I go through this. So, Satan was originally created without flaw, as all things created by God were. Verse, verse 15, and I'm going, to, I'm going to read through a few verses here to give us a bit of a context and then sort of comment on those verses. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm going to read Ezekiel 28, 13 to 15, and then comment on those. Ezekiel 28, 13 to 15. It says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Uh, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and Carbuncle, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I place you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of the fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. Ezekiel 28. 13 to 15. Verse 15 gives us a hint as to the origin of sin. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Isaiah 14, 20, 12 to 14 further indicates that Satan, Lucifer, sinned in his pride and his coveting of God's throne. When he rebelled against God, Satan was rejected from heaven. We see that in Ezekiel 28 in 1 Timothy 3.6. So this brings us to the question, how did evil manifest itself in a perfect creature? It may be good to mention that even, that evil is not a created thing. It is not a creature and has no independent being. Also, evil has no standard as goodness does. It is a lack, a deficiency, a falling short of the standard of God's perfect goodness. All sin, no matter how trivial it may seem, falls short of moral goodness. And it falls short of perfection. God is always consistent with his perfect nature. All sin, therefore, must come from the creature, and the desire for evil comes from within the creature. Um, we'll, we'll mention that during the prayer meeting, James 1.14. Um, it comes from within the creature, not outside of him. Sin was found in Lucifer because of a choice the angel made to seek something other than what God had chosen for him. Anytime we seek other, whatever that is, other than God and his preceptive will, we sin. So to say sin originated within God's creatures does not mean that God was surprised or caught unaware by it. Although God did not bring about sin, he certainly allowed it 
to exist or else it would not. Since God is sovereign over all things, it's true that he could have prevented sin, but he has allowed it to serve his ultimate purposes. All his ways are good. In him is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. And he is right now working all things for his good pleasure, Romans 8, 28. So sin in this world ultimately becomes the black backdrop on which the shimmering diamond of the gospel shines more brilliantly. Okay? So, again, God is good. In him is no evil, no darkness at all. Um, any sin or corruption we see comes out of the heart, um, not from God. We as angels were created good, very good. Okay? Any, any thoughts on that? said Ezekiel and then Isaiah. Yeah, I think those are, they, they have been looked at both ways. Um, I would say it's, it is, in, in reference to, to Satan, um, specifically the anointed, um, and again, you, you, you can look at this both ways, but the, uh, the anointed guardian um, cherub, I think that language um, would sort of allude to that. Um, you were in Eden, the garden of God, I think that language alludes to that. Um, and the same with, with Ezekiel. I mean, you can stand on you know, one, one or the other side of that. But I think those, some of the terms used in this would allude to that being a, a pointer or a picture of, of the evil one. I mean, and then even with, as, as Isaiah and Ezekiel, both there's terminology and there's, uh, there's, there's prophecy and they're different. It's, it's a genre that you could read either side of it. But I would personally say it, I think it, leads, it does lead toward uh, Satan or the evil one, but it's just me. I could be wrong. But. I have a footnote in the Proctor's study Bible that says something about that. Okay. It says this lament over the king of Tyre reached behind to the real supernatural source of wickedness, Satan. Uh, Matthew sixteen twenty one through twenty three, where Peter was rebuked by the Lord as under satanic control and motivation. just be my personal stance on it. You also see that happen in Revelation, yeah. That's a good point. Good point. Okay. Where was I at? But uh, good good thought. Good thought, Ellie. I appreciate it. Um, where was I? I think, uh, Will, you sort of got, you mentioned this earlier. Uh, Satan will try to hinder a Christian's witness and usefulness. What are the ways in which we see that the influence of 
of the evil one. Um, what are some ways that you guys think that Satan or fallen angels, demons, can hinder a Christian's usefulness or his, his witness? Right, and we're gonna, right, and that is not the case. I think when you, um, and I address that specifically, when you attribute every evil um, or every bad thing to Satan, ultimately you make Satan sovereign, but Satan is not. Uh, can he make someone sick? I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, can he kill? Um, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, Revelation talks about believers who are killed by the evil um, that doesn't mean it's outside of God's sovereign control, but it's, it's a reality. So to answer your question, I would say, yeah, he could. Absolutely. All right, let me jump for the sake of time. Uh, the devil and his demons are limited both in their own power and by God's control and what they can and can't do. So Jude 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness into the judgment of that day. Um, James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice here that the New Testament Christian is commanded to resist Satan, not to rebuke him, not to try and bind him or cast him this way or that way, we are told simply resist him. We read in scripture, what we read earlier um, in 2 Peter 2.11, which says, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, did not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So that sounds a lot like Jude, which I mentioned. They sort of, those two, I'm going to say the exact same thing, but I'm going to read Jude. And then we'll look at an Old Testament passage that I think it's alluding to. So Jude 8 and 9, it says, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not pronounce or presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. And I think this is a reference back to Zechariah chapter 3. And we should notice, again, that the angels, don't, they don't speak to the devil flippantly, but says, again, the Lord rebuke you, right? Even angels acknowledge the one with whom true power lies. Um, it's very common in our culture now or in some areas of Christendom where you see this you know, we, we wake up and we command the morning and we, and we bind Satan and we tell him to flee and we send him running. And that's just not what you see in the Bible. You see the Bible saying, resist. We battle with the word of God. We don't have the authority in and of ourselves to do anything to Satan. So we have to be careful not to trivialize Satan. We can neither rebuke nor banish him. We are no match for Satan. But God is. Okay? Just an aside there. 
Um, Isaiah 46.10 says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, the ancient times, things that, things that have yet not been done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Right, you see the same idea in Daniel 2.27-28. So demonic activity. James 1.14, which we read a couple of times already, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Like God's angels, Satan and his demons are active in the world today, and they work much evil. But they are not solely responsible for all the evil in the world. Much of the sin mentioned in the Bible is not the result of Satan or his demons, but instead the result of an individual's personal, an individual person's own actions. So again, like I mentioned earlier, there are some who attribute all evil in the world to the devil. When we do this, we ultimately accredit sovereignty to Satan, and we deny the total depravity of man. If Satan controls every evil action done in the world, then Satan is sovereign. But we know that Satan is limited He's indeed restrained by God in his work and influence of evil. The Lord of hosts has no competition. So this is not a cosmic tug of war. We already know the end. God wins. Okay? God wins. We are told to be watchful, to resist him, to give no opportunity to the evil one. Also, Jesus has nullified the power of the devil, and we should not fear demons or Satan. Ephesians 4.27. Let's, let's go there. <laughs> Ephesians Have someone read verse 27 for us. You get no opportunity to the devil. Okay. Is that what I want? Yeah. So I, I, as I was reading this, I was thinking about um, there is a, in Paul's letter to the uh, Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he writes uh, speaking of a, an evil man who has uh, taken his father's wife for himself. Um, and he writes to the church, correcting them of this behavior, um, and says, you should put him out of the congregation. Turn him over that he would learn not to blaspheme and do this, right? Second Corinthians, he writes again to that church saying, if this man has repented, take him back into the fellowship. If he's turned from his sin, take him back in. Although this sin was grievous, if he's repented, bring him back. He writes... If you, if you choose not to forgive him or if you keep, continue to withhold him or withhold forgiveness from him, you are, you are being ignorant of Satan's devices. He says, so that you would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. 2 Corinthians 2, 11. He's talking about forgiving a man and bringing him back into the fellowship so that you would not be outwitted by Satan. So an unwillingness to forgive can serve as a device of the evil one as it rips through the fellowship and unity of believers. Right? So again, we're just trying to have a biblical lens of this. Um, his desire here is that you would not show forgiveness, which you ought to do, Ephesians 4.32, but that you would keep that brother at bay, and in that, you're being outwitted by Satan. I think that's very, very telling and something that we should keep in mind when we consider our fellowship and the unity of the brethren. Um, so we are not immune from uh, certain schemes of the evil one, which is why Ephesians 6 again says, take up the shield of faith. Uh, where am I here? So Jesus has nullified the power of the devil, Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. 
Um, we should not fear demons. As we bring this to a close here, 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Another note on this. The primary goal of Satan and demons are not to, like I mentioned before, scare us at night. They are after our faith in Christ. So they want to keep the believer from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. This is why we take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. We resist Satan by standing firm in the faith. We resist him by standing firm in the faith. We don't... I, Mount, I, I'm thinking about a song, I'm getting distracted again, a, a Christian song where he's going on, on, on and on about kicking Satan and rebuking him and giving him one, two, and he's like having this boxing match with Satan. It's like, no, <laughs> that's, that's not what happens. That's not what the Bible paints for us as a picture of how the believer battles the schemes of the evil one. We battle him in Christ, girded with the truth, covered in the righteousness of Christ so that his guilt does not stick and with the word of God, right? We, we, we're no match for Satan in and of ourselves. In the Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. As I mentioned earlier, Christ wins, and we being in Christ have won. I remember I was having a conversation with one of my cousins, and we were talking about Satan. I don't, I'm not even sure how we got on the topic. But um, he was sort of telling me about his ideas of Satan. And I said to him, you know that Satan is going to hell, right? And he just looked at me with this, like, you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, no, yeah, he actually, he's going to hell. Like, God, hell is not Satan's ruling domain. God created hell for fallen angels. Right? So Satan and demons will be tossed into the lake of fire. And he just, he looked at me so crazy. <laughs> like, bro, like, you, you, you have to, you have to make sure that you're, the way in which you understand uh, Satan and demons is through a biblical lens. Uh, we cannot have Hollywood's view of Satan um, because it does, I think it does more harm. Um, of course, it does more harm than it does good. And the Christians just should not think that way. So we're fighting by the grace of God unto the victory Christ has already attained and sealed in us. So we should not have any fear of Satan or his demons because we are in Christ. Now, if you are outside of Christ, you have much to fear. Um, but in Christ, we have nothing to fear. We stand on the side of the, the king who's already won. So.